In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick. I know many have come back or are about maybe to head off on a spring break adventure. And if you're anything like me, you are already planning the next trip before you even get home. I know, it's my coping strategy. And given that we're less than two months away from summer, is that an awakening for anyone? It was for me when I realized that the other day. I thought I would dedicate this episode to focus on a framework I use for planning vacations with an intention in mind. I sometimes think it's easy to go to the tactical, to planning what I call like the basic needs of travel, of transportation and accommodations first and get that out of the way. But I want to offer a different lens that really helps you hack and optimize the process to create the greatest value without sacrificing the experience. A member in the Ordinary Sherpa Facebook group had posed the question, we are starting to plan our family road trip out west. What are some must-sees and why? We love to hike. Our kids' ages are 9 and 12. We could camp or stay in hotels. Thanks in advance. And I immediately said, I can't answer this question on Facebook. (laughs) I'm going to have to dedicate an episode to this because it's so much more than where you go. And you'll see why in just a second. One of the first things I always like to think about is it's easy for us to jump to where we want to go. However, I have learned that it doesn't really matter where we go. It's the act of going that's more important to me. And I can usually design a pretty amazing experience no matter where we end up. And I'm not saying that to like gloat. It's just I know what our family superpowers are and I know what is needed for an experience to be successful. So I wanted to back up a little bit instead of thinking about where are we going to go and what do we need to see? And you know, I'm like an anti-bucket list kind of person. I wanted you to think about it first from this lens. What is the purpose? What is the intention? What is the goal? Why do we want to travel in the first place? And the reason I think this is such an important first question is it's so easy to jump over this and go right to the destination, but it's not always obvious what the purpose of the travel is. A general understanding of this will create more intentional planning process and actually will result in a better experience. Just saying. And I know that's not really easy. Like, oh, what is the purpose of life, right? (laughs) That's an answer I can't give you. But I wanted to break it down a little bit further. So one of the questions I might ask is, what was one of your best vacation memories? The reason I ask this is because it might start to get you in the zone of like, what was that actual experience like? What were we doing? How did we feel? Did the weather matter? Was the time of year important? It'll help you understand the factors of that experience that were helpful. So one of those good reflective exercises, and you don't have to do it with everybody. This can just be a personal thing. But if you were to think back, like what was one of the best vacation memories or experiences that you've had? The second question under like the purpose is what do each of your family members like to do? And I have just coached actually a family on this where all of their families interested in different things. And if you ask them where they want to go, they have really strong opinions about where they want to go or what they want to see. But if you get down a little bit closer to what do you want to do on vacation, that can actually take out some of the 
I don't want to call it like the headstrongness, the stubbornness, the idea like this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to do it. Watch me. I think what does your family like to do will help determine some of the fill in so that you can make sure everybody has a good experience or do something that everybody likes to do on the vacation. For adults, I also like you to ask, how do I want to feel? on vacation. And the reason I ask this, and I'll get into this in a much more depth in a little bit, is I always planned from the mindset of I want it to be a cheap getaway. And that was kind of my framework. Cheap getaway actually exasperated the stress. (laughs) And I have now learned I don't want to feel stressed on vacation. I don't want to feel stuck. I don't want to feel like I have to do something. I want to really enjoy the time together with my family And no, like we can just figure this out without having to have everything planned. That's the lens I'm coming through with that. These questions, though, have really been helpful in me designing experiences. And it helps other families think about things on a deeper level as opposed to just, you know, putting crossing off another destination on your list or another bucket list item. Try to think about like, why do I want to experience this? Or what is really the motivation behind this experience? Am I really starting to get itchy because my kids are going to be graduating and I'm just fearful and I just want something and I feel like it's got to be epic? What is it? And those are all okay things, right? There's no right or wrong answer here. This is just a really good grounding space to stay like, what do I actually want the experience to be? The second thing, number two, when it comes to the planning stage, it can be very overwhelming and it can be a lot of different things. So what I always encourage is like, what are the one to two must do's? This will help you prioritize the next stage of planning. For example, right now, there are some really critical things that my family kind of wants to do as we plan our our road trip up into Canada. And I've noticed that Sometimes I let that like outside stress tell me I have to do it. So for example, one of those things that's on our list of like, maybe we want to do that is the Road to the Sun in Glacier National Park. Newsflash, if you aren't aware, those reservations are going to open again in June and they're really hard to get. It's like booking fast passes for Disney World. You have to be on at like early in the morning. They sell out fast. And I'm like, ugh. Is that something that's really critical? Like, is that actually going to make this better of an experience for us? I don't know. It's okay. The other thing is I want you to realize, like, what are the high priority items that kind of have to get done? It's like the have to's versus the want to's. I find if I can get those have to's off the list sooner than later, it also just makes the rest of the planning a lot easier. Another one might be the Antelope Slot Canyon. If you want to do that, jump over on Ken's tours and go book your spot because those are the critical pieces that are going to be much harder to fill in later or to get access to. So sometimes it's just important to prioritize which areas are going to be kind of have tos. And sometimes the other thing I think about is a lot of times we think about accommodations last. And I actually encourage people to think about this sooner because accommodations can have a make it or break it kind of design element. Actually, transportation does too. But they really influence the rest of your vacation experience. And so sometimes I'll, and I'll get into this when we talk about value is, what is the type of experience you want to have? Do you think just camping in the woods is really what you want to do the entire time? Or do you need a few luxury accommodations to make it a little easier? Or if you may have been like me, the thought of staying in a hotel just was painful. I also say then number three is to explore what can be optimized for value. And this is where I want to suggest that we're talking more than just time and money here. The win-win for us are when we can do activities that yield high joy and low investment. 
And these actually aren't that hard to find. And one of the reasons why I love practicing backyard adventures is because we get better at it, right? We start to find easy ways to find joy, to do something out of our comfort zone, and yet not spend a fortune on it. While I don't necessarily market myself as a budget traveler, I am always trying to hack ways to get a great value. So I use travel rewards. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that, but I do offer some resources here in a little bit. If that's something you want to explore, I tend to lean into like, what are the options that our points can use? The caution I have, though, is don't always think it's about money or time. I like to look at various forms of capital or various forms of currency, if you want to call it that. And as a value traveler, I often evaluate time versus money. What I learned is that there's different things that I often overlooked in the travel planning process, things like social capital or well-being capital or health capital, if you want to talk about that. There are things that are important. You know, I still have a health routine. And if I don't do that what ha- on vacation, what happens? What happens if we're not eating as well on vacation? Are we okay with that? Or is that important to us? So there are some basic fundamentals to life that we tend to overlook because, and I'm putting in quotes here, because we're on vacation. Is that something you want? Are you trying to escape from life? Are you trying not to maintain those daily practices? Or is it something you want to be more intentional about as you design the experience? Our best experiences have been unscheduled time, downtime. We do really well when we kind of do some high activity and then some low activity or building in down days. And our kids get along better when they have a break from each other as well. So it's reinforced the importance of social capital in our travel planning. One of the best decisions I made, and I'm going to say I because I really planned the entire three-week Hawaii trip, was to have week two, so that middle week, be a family stay with a host family that had five other kids. And the reason was every single day, they got a break from each other. That we were still together, but we were with another family. They had kids. My kids went off and kind of hung out with the kids. It was the best experience I've ever had. And so that has really been an informative thing that I've considered as I travel more frequently. And as we learn right through the process, because nobody figures this out, it's made that time together just a little less tenuous. Some of the other things I consider when I talk about my optimization strategy is the time of year or time of day. I have really struggled with this, um, in particular with the time of year. Four out of the five people that I'm traveling with are kind of stuck with a public school schedule. And my husband's not allowed to leave or take a personal day on any time like butting up to a school break or a long weekend. So it just makes traveling during non-peak season nearly impossible. So we're kind of stuck traveling in peak season. So it's hard to sometimes optimize for value because you're working with higher price points to begin with. However, that doesn't mean it's impossible, right? So within that, what are the priorities that we want to work with? So time of day then is what we try to optimize for. So when we're going to a peak place or a high yield experience and we know it's going to be busy and we don't want to deal with crowds, then we try to optimize for time of day. So for example, Disney is probably a really good one. We went for rope drop every single morning because we knew we could get in and do quite a few things before the large amount of people came in or before the kind of the crowd settled. You always get at least one, sometimes two or three rides before the bulk of the park is open and active. And they don't really publicize this, but they do used to do rope drops. Depending on how big the crowds were, they would do them sometimes sooner than what their published opening times were. So things like that that you learn. I also like to ask, what resources do you already have? Anytime I can leverage friends or family 
that we can connect with along the way, I always try to look at that. Can we do a meetup? Can we meet for dinner? Because what it's offering us a break, again, for my, I don't have to be in charge of entertaining my kids. Someone else is giving them some attention. They love that. Or maybe they're playing with another kid, so they're not having to entertain each other. Things like that, I think, are really helpful to build into your just optimization strategy. If you need specific equipment, what do I already have? What can I be working towards, you know, months in advance? Sometimes these are great Christmas presents or birthday presents or Easter baskets if you process, you know, all of those things I think can help you be more intentional about the planning process and not feel like, oh, I have to do this and this and this. Also some examples too of what memberships or travel rewards can I use? An interesting one that I hadn't really thought about until more recently was that we had a YMCA membership as a family. And YMCA memberships actually work across state lines in some cases, not always. But if you have things like a gym membership, that YMCA membership got us into a local like community pool for, I think we still paid a little bit of a guest fee. Or it has also helped us um, get access to, for example, another ASTC membership. So that's like a local museum that you can have a membership to. Those get you into museums across the country. So if I have a membership, I can optimize some things. Again, those resources that I already have that can be optimized in different locations. Another piece that I like to think about in terms of optimizing is what activities. If I use this tool, I call it the metrics of thriving or joy audit. If I learn what are the things that bring us great joy with a smaller investment, I can tell you pretty much back and forth. My kids will thrive or our family will thrive if we do hiking, biking, and swimming. Now, obviously, that's not really always summer, you know, depending on where we go. But if I have hiking, biking, and swimming involved somewhere in that experience, it's going to be pretty good. We've learned, too, that swimming is an easy way. It's easy to get caught up, right, in like water water parks or things like that, those theme park things. And that's pretty costly. So either I'm going to try to find a way through coupons or memberships to optimize that or a hack that we've used all the time is there are community swimming pools in almost tons of communities across the country. So these have been really good and they're affordable and they're also predictable. You know, we kind of know what to expect. There's not a lot of waiting in lines and the investment's so small. I mean, sometimes it's less than $15 for our entire family, that it's okay. And we don't feel like we have to stay there all day. Whereas if we go to a water park and it's $40 a person, I kind of feel like it's a waste of money if we leave in two hours. So for me, finding those low investment options. Another thing I like to highlight is we've really found that county parks are what we tend to prefer, especially if we're camping. If we can stay at a county park or utilize the resources within a county park, there's less people I would say they're kind of hidden gems as opposed to state parks. Oftentimes people are already exploring state parks. So I tend to look at county parks as well once I start planning. I want to come back to this idea of the basic needs of travel, of transportation and accommodations really taking up the bulk of the budget. And sometimes when we don't think about them from an intentional lens, we lose sight of the value they have in the overall experience. One of the reasons I used to always jam pack our schedule is that the idea of the worst vacation ever was sitting in a hotel room doing nothing like that for me was like it it, like my stomach's churning just thinking about it. It feels awful. So I had this kind of, oh, I don't know, bitter taste in my mouth. Anytime the kids we would be staying in a hotel in a city and I want to be off exploring and the kids are like, can we just go play at the pool? It used to drive me bonkers. So one of the ways I've downshifted is to say, okay. We have one day of massive exploration, and sometimes that works to my benefit, and sometimes it doesn't. 
but it also gives space for the kids to sit in the pool and play. And if that's the case, then my husband and I sometimes take turns and say, okay, well, we don't all need to be at the pool today. Why don't you go down with the kids in the morning? I'll stay back and read so it still feels relaxing or I'll plan the next part of the leg of the trip and or figure out dinner, whatever that is, right? I can do something that feels like we're still doing something adventurous and we can take turns. The other thing I've learned is that if I'm putting too much value on the cost, right? So again, I tend to think in terms of value, meaning money. But if I overemphasize the money and I go cheap and I consider money before I think about the overall experience, I might lose the opportunity to choose an accommodation that actually better fits with our values. Let me be a little bit more specific with that. We have learned that if I had to create the ideal accommodations, it usually means that we would stay with friends or family for like one or two days. And the reason is, first of all, it's connection time. So many times if I have friends or family that are so far away, you know, I joke that families get together during weddings and funerals and you're with like, in our case, like 150 other people all the time. So you get five minutes. Whereas when we travel, we can have dinner, we can have conversations, we can actually learn and see and feel what their life is like and get to know them a little bit better. So it offers deeper connection time. It also gives, again, my kids time to play and get attention from someone else. I think that makes the overall entertainment value go up. And it's actually one of the reasons we purchased an RV because it gives us much more ability to have transportation and accommodations combined and the comfort, right? We know what to expect every single night, but we can go off to different locations and we still kind of come back, quote unquote, home every single night into an accommodation we know. I thought to make this more relevant or even like go deeper in this process, I'm going to walk you through the exact process that I used on a recent ski trip that we planned to go to Colorado. I'm going to walk you through the question, what got us there? How did we do it? What did it cost? All of those things. So I just kind of, I'm just going to let you know, if you don't really want to know this and you just want to like exit out, go ahead and fast forward through this next part. But since I was in the process of planning a Colorado ski trip, I thought I'd just like document what I actually did, how I made the decisions and what tools we used to optimize our budget and design for a valuable experience. So first of all, if I go back to like, what is the ideal experience? For us, we wanted to ski out west. That was really the only thing. We wanted something different than the Midwest. And we did actually ski near Jackson Hole last year. So that was kind of a good thing. We we had like this, I don't know, I, I want to say like flavor of what it could be. But yet there wasn't this high expectation of a ski resort or anything like that. So we began starting this research actually by exploring ski passport programs for fifth and sixth graders. I knew they existed because I kind of stumbled upon them last year when we skied in Idaho at Grand Targhee when we were off at uh, Grand Tetons National Park and in Jackson Hole. And our kids are at that age where there's usually a lot of things like that happening. So my first step was to look for family-friendly skiing. And I landed on an article by The Points Guy. And I'm actually going to link this up in the show notes so you can see. So it, it offered me all of the resort options across the country that had programs that I could optimize for a value experience for my fourth, fifth, sixth graders, depending on what it is. And I'm going to dive deeper into that into like, how did we get there? From there, I wanted to say like, okay, what resources do we already have? Do you notice I haven't even told you where we went yet? At this point in the process, I had not determined where we were going. The next thing I did was I took all that research that, or not all that research, because I didn't do the research. I just looked at an article that someone else had compiled for me. I looked at those locations and then I said, okay, 
I already have Southwest Companion Pass, and we can optimize that. That means, for those that don't know, Southwest Companion Pass is like a travel rewards program that I have. It's through Chase. Both I and my husband had it, meaning that we can travel anywhere that Southwest travels and bring a companion for free. My caveat there is you pay like $11 or something for the fees, the security fees and the taxes, I think. So from that Southwest Companion Pass plus Southwest Rapid Rewards points that we already have a stash of, we could essentially use our points to cover three members of our family and yet five of us would travel. And we were able to really optimize our budget that way. So when I look at that list of airports, of where these passport programs are, we could travel to Albuquerque, Denver, Boise, and Salt Lake City. Those were kind of the four then that we narrowed it down to. And when we started to look at that, then I look at the low fare flight calendar. So I start to look at, okay, of these, because the benefit of flying Southwest on points is it actually is based on the price of the ticket. Whereas some travel rewards have a a table of, you know, a domestic flight is 25,000 points. That's not how it works on Southwest. So I can actually dive deeper into the fair flight calendar and base off of that, you know, I can look, okay, from Milwaukee to each of these places, what's it going to cost? I may want to determine my dates from that because now if I've got some flexibility, I can do, and we just did a long weekend. So I'm like, okay, any weekend in this month, let's see which one is the cheapest and we'll design it from there. We also have learned that we tend to leave on a Saturday. So the just in general, cheap flight tickets, just so you know, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays, if you fly on those days, fares are generally cheaper. So we've learned when we do a weekend, we usually leave on Saturday morning and we come back on Tuesday. It's my favorite hack ever. And in the end, that led us to flights that took us to Denver, Colorado, And because we had Companion Pass with Southwest and we had travel rewards and I actually had a travel voucher that I still needed to use, our entire flights round trip were $44.80, which again, that's a resource. I'm leveraging a resource that I already have. If you want to learn more, by the way, about travel rewards, I have a free resource that I will link to in the show notes. It's just an easy strategy. Travel rewards can be really complicated. And I have been doing this for 10 years. And as a family of five, it can be even more complicated. (laughs) Okay, so let me know. I have an entire family reward strategy that I give you. That's a free download. And if you realize like, oh, I want to dive deeper into this, I do offer travel rewards coaching. Just if that's of interest to you, you can go to my my contact form, which is ordinarysherpa.com backslash contact. The reason I think travel rewards for families is tricky is number one, it's already complicated. So you really have to dive deep and figure out what you want to do. When you're a family of five, you already kind of have one layer, so to speak, against you. I already mentioned we travel a lot during peak travel time. So again, that's kind of another notch against you. And the last thing is I don't care where we travel. And many of the travel reward strategies are based on a destination And so we have really had to figure out like, okay, we travel four to five times a year. Decided from 2,500, it's been there for almost 10 years, we can up it. So I did up it this year to 5,000. But still, I mean, most families I hear take one vacation for $5,000 a year. So I know it's complicated and I want to help you through that. So if that's something you want to dive deeper into, feel free to contact me. The other thing I will say, just going back to Southwest, the other thing that we had going for us when we go look at resources we already have, we have all of our own ski gear. And so the value with Southwest was that you automatically get two bags free. So we didn't have to pay extra for baggage, which kept our cost down as well. A third step in this process was to leverage your network. 
I have family members who live near Estes Park. I have friends who ski out west. I always am looking for resources. So I decided that while we were going out west, we should sneak in a visit. And even, I mean, it was a ski trip, but it's still helpful for us to have a down day. So I wanted to have some time to hang out with them. As I mentioned, that connection is really important for us. So I use that as a resource to say, okay, like, let's take a down day. Let's meet up with family. Let's have some fun time. And between that and then leveraging the Facebook member that I'm a group, and I mentioned this in another episode, the Ski Moms Fun Facebook group, I was able to connect with a couple other families and say, okay, we're going to Colorado. These are their passport programs. Help me prioritize which one we should choose or which two might we choose. So when you leverage your network, you get to learn a little bit more of that insider local knowledge. Even if I don't have a relationship with these women, I knew that they all appreciated skiing and they asked really thoughtful questions too. Like, What's your ski level? How long do you want to drive? Because if you're flying into Denver, it's really hard to get to tell you ride, just so you know. There's things like that that I wouldn't have thought about without those additional questions. So leveraging your network and the skills and the knowledge that they have, you don't have to figure it all out, right? You just have to know which questions to ask and who to ask. So I prefer more of the local experience. I wanted something that wasn't going to be real resorty. And I am a bit biased. We already know what skiing is like. So we didn't need like the glitz and the glamour. We just wanted to have really good skiing. So that led, I also, I should also say, I looked also at Google travel ratings. So once I had the resorts, I will go to the Google travel or you can go to like TripAdvisor and you can see the only thing I caution is those people don't necessarily know me, right? They're giving general travel advice. And I'm always cautious. I don't necessarily like to listen to those people that don't know me. So I read the reviews, but I only take that like that's only one factor in making my decision. Optimize for value. So I took all of these recommendations. So everything from my relatives and friends who gave me recommendations of ski resorts to go to, of this Facebook group that I was a part of who gave recommendations. And then from there, we dug into the options. So we looked at the trail maps. We looked at lift price tickets for the adults because the ski passport was only for fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And by the way, that is an amazing... If you're a skier, I would check out those passport programs. They are amazing, especially like fourth, fifth, sixth grade. I don't know how old they are, but they are so cheap. We get four passes at 21 different ski resorts. I'm not talking four total. I'm talking four times 21. So we had like 80 some days of ski lifts at tickets for $59. It was insane. And the other thing we learned is sometimes I have a six-year-old. Some of those resorts also offered free ski or reduced, I should say, in some cases, lift tickets for kids six and under. So when you put all of that together, you can really start to leverage, okay, what are the things that are most of value that we can get from the experience without having to break our budget? I did not use Chase Ultimate Rewards. So Chase Ultimate Rewards is another travel rewards option that comes from the Chase program. I have multiples of those (laughs) Chase cards and I have multiples of the Chase Ultimate Rewards between my husband and I. Um, So I also will go to that portal to see what the options are. Like, can I redeem points for rental cars or are there hotels that are close by? And for this experience, we wanted to be close to the mountains. We did not want to be driving the almost two hours from Denver to the ski resorts each day. We really wanted to be closer. So in this case, it was more convenient and often is more convenient for us to look at Airbnb 
And then the second thing I would say is we also just did not find what we were looking for. Again, when you're when you're skiing, you kind of need a place to put that ski equipment once you get there. So we needed a bigger vehicle and we needed a ski rack. And so it's just usually a lot easier on that circumstances when you have a like specialized request to find things on Turo. So we used Turo. And for both of those, you can use the Capital One Venture card to erase the travel expenses later. And we can't always erase the entire expense, but they still are helpful to erase part of the expense. So those are some just ways that we optimized the value and still did not jeopardize the experience. And then coming back to, you know, what resources do you already have? I already know, you know, we have cold weather gear. We are always stashing and storing and buying used and hand-me-downs. So I buy gender neutral gear, you know, skis and boots that can be handed down. And we have them ideally for 10 years between my oldest and my youngest. And we try to really look at rummage sales and ski use swap sales and play it against sports or once, you know, like thrift stores that we can find things from. So really what our packing comes down to is the things that we have to buy every year are two to three different base layers and two to three different socks. So when you start to realize like, okay, we're a ski family and I'm putting that in quotes because you don't have to be a ski family for these items. But if I know I'm always looking for base layers on sale, I'm always looking for good ski socks and then they're great for holiday gifts or they're great for birthday presents because I'm always, you know, I wouldn't say every year, but every couple years I need to replenish, upgrade, right? So those are just kind of things that we use that that are already in our toolkit. We don't have to always invest more new money to have a really great experience. I want my kids to be warm. I want to be comfortable. I want to be at a place that offers us the time and the flexibility to be together as a family. The One of the reasons we've always appreciated Airbnbs is have a little bit more personalization. You know, you can make your own food. We have some, we try to look for family-friendly locations, things that sometimes there's toys or something that wouldn't be available at home. And in this case, there was a hot tub and I was really excited about that. Now, it was a total bummer because the hot tub was closed one night. The second night, though, was one of the peak family experiences where we went to the hot tub after dark. The sky was clear. The older two and I were just kind of playing and there were shooting stars everywhere. And uh, meanwhile, we're like watching the snow groomer groom the hills beside, you know, it was just, it was one of those idyllic experiences. And we still talk about like, oh, remember that one hot tub? And it was so cool because it was so cold outside and so nice in the hot tub. So when you like boil all this down, so what did all this cost? We skied at a I would call it a five-star resort, uh, Copper Mountain, which is just, it's outside of Frisco is the city that it's in, in Colorado. And the total budget broke down for just skiing was $572 for two days for a family of five. Our airfare was $44.20. Our lodging was $488.40 and $413.13 for the Turo or the Grand Transportation. And I know that I did not include necessarily the groceries and the price of parking and incidentals and all that kind of stuff. So there's there's still life expenses, but those things aren't necessarily different. You know, like we don't splurge on vacation and go out to eat every single night. We don't we tend to lead a very simple lifestyle even on vacation. So we didn't have a lot of extra incidentals. We packed our food when we could. We bought groceries. Those are things we would be doing at home anyway. We put gas in the car. We still would have to do that anyway. So it's not too much different. And I don't always take those things out of our travel budget. 
The other thing that was valuable was that this experience doubled as part of their Christmas gift. So they knew they were getting it. It was one of those fun things. So I think the um, the ski passes were what we bought them for Christmas. So we, as I go back to, you know, I've had another episode and I'll link it again in the show notes. At the very bottom of my show notes, by the way, there's always resources with additional links. So you can always check those out. I have an episode on gifting experiences. I'll link to that in the show notes as well. But in total, I've often read that the average cost for a ski weekend again, just a weekend, we had an extended weekend, but a ski weekend is $5,980. And I will say, oh yeah, watch me. (laughs) Our total experience was $1,500, just over $1,500, $1,517 if you want to be exact. So I hope this framework helps you think a little bit differently, that it's not just, you know, the transportation and the accommodations that we need to think about and that we don't need to necessarily be buying tickets to all these different things to be on cloud nine every single day It really comes back to what are the things you value and how do we hack it? How do we learn? How do we optimize? We've had other experiences where we've tried to find those little hidden gems and it was an Airbnb experience in Hawaii that I was like, I am not spending $60 per person to go sit in a warm pool. I think we can figure this out. Like, I think we'll be able to find our own way. And so instead of, well, I think Airbnb experiences are actually really cool. I just wasn't willing to pay $60 a person for it. I was able to hack that. I was able to design it myself. I was able to figure out where these warm pools were. And I think it was actually free. So there are different ways when you start to understand what your values are, you can hack it. You can think about different ways to optimize for value and recognize value is not always just money and time. In true ordinary Sherpa form, I have eight key takeaways for this episode. Number one, what is the purpose for this travel experience? Asking this question first allows for an intentional planning and checkpoint throughout the planning process to design an experience that suits your goals. Number two, focus on one to two high priority items and plan for those items first. The rest of the necessities will be based off these first two critical items. Number three, what resources do you already have that you can optimize? Consider things like memberships, equipment, travel rewards. There are many different ways to use things that you already have. Number four, what are things each member of your family likes to do? One way Heidi creates high joy, low investment is by swimming experiences to utilize community swimming pools or county parks. Number five, consider different forms of capital that create value for your experience. For example, social capital and health and well-being capital might get overlooked because of money and time. Number six, transportation and accommodations can be included in the overall experience. Does the accommodation offer things that will be of high value in comparison to the cost? When considering accommodations, Heidi recognized the social capital is really important to her family and the ideal accommodation is to stay with friends or family for one to two days to allow for deeper connection. Number seven, How can you leverage your network? Who else has been there, done that? How are they similar or different from you? Heidi doesn't suggest taking advice from those who don't know you or don't align with your values, but their insights can help narrow down your options or can help direct you to where to look for more information. Number eight, family traveling reward strategies are tricky due to peak travel times, the number of people traveling, and how many strategies are based on a specific destination. Heidi offers a free family travel reward strategy download at OrdinarySherpa.com backslash rewards. She uses this strategy to travel four to five times per year as a family of five for $5,000. And I know this can be complicated. So in addition, if you would like to learn more about family travel rewards coaching, 
You can get started by filling out the contact form on my website, which is OrdinarySherpa.com backslash contact. And I will take you through a quick one-on-one and then we'll go from there. I also want to mention that there were other resources mentioned in this episode that might be worthwhile. First, the episode on gifting experiences, Ski Moms Fun, and last but not least, the Ordinary Sherpa Facebook group. I would love you to hop over to the Ordinary Sherpa Facebook group and tell me, what hacks do you have for optimizing adventure experiences without sacrificing value? Until next week, I hope you keep on an adventure and start planning those trips. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.